How do you mine for the gold in your compliance program to demonstrate ROI to increase your compliance budget? In this special five-part podcast series with Nick and Gio Gallo from Compliance Line, I explore this topic. We take a look at what is ROI, how to calculate it, and more importantly, how to present that information to CFOs and senior management to increase your compliance budgeting. Now, a quick word from Nick Gallo about Compliance Line. For over 25 years, Compliance Line has provided a suite of corporate integrity products that help you manage risk and reinforce your healthy culture. From case management and COI software that really saves time, issue intake and e-learning focused on the human element, and sanction monitoring that actually works, we are committed to making the world a better workplace for everyone. We're currently offering a limited number of free ROI sessions that'll help you make the business case for more budget so your program can be more effective. These custom sessions will give you the right talk tracks and confidence to get the money you need to elevate. Reach out to us at complianceline.com today to schedule your free custom ROI session. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back with Nick and Gio Gallo for part three in our five-part series. Today, we're going to take up the topic of ESG. We're not going to explain to you what ESG is, but we're going to ask the brothers Gallo, how might a finance professional look at ESG and how might that be different than the way a compliance professional would? So, gentlemen, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Glad Glad to to be be here. here. Let's just start with this basic question, and maybe I could pitch it to you, Gio. How would a finance professional look or view ESG differently than a compliance professional might? Yeah, I think it's going to be very different, right? Let's start with, they are probably not looking at the mound of work that it's going to take to accomplish the program, right? They're looking for the outcome. And they probably look at this and don't see, wow, this is maybe a threat to my power, or maybe someone's going to dump this on my plate, and yet it's something else for me to figure out. They probably look at it as an opportunity, right? Here's a new thing. Here's a new conversation that we can be a part of. Here's something that maybe we're decent at, and we're going to start getting credit for it. Or maybe we're not decent at it, and we can kind of get to the head of the pack because we can make some early investments which might be in programs or just how we talk about it. So I think they're going to see more opportunity in this than the ENC professional, which I think we should be conscious of as we enter this conversation, because you kind of want to mirror that, right? Unless the finance pro knows that we're bearing a bunch of environmental risks that now people are going to start caring about. Hopefully that's not your company. And I don't think it's most companies in the market. They're probably looking at this as, hmm, I wonder if there's something here. I wonder if we can make something out of this zeitgeist and this thing that's going on. So I think that that kind of opportunity versus, wow, look at all the uncertainty and work that's in here is one big driver of distinction. And I think another one is the idea that they're probably primarily going to look at this from a finance lens. And in case it's not obvious, there's no F in ESG, right? (laughs) So the finance lens for this is going to be, hey, you know what? We might be able to get better financing for this. Well, what does that mean? Someone might be more willing to write a loan to us. Someone else might want to invest in our company. There's a thing called cost of capital, right? What does it cost to borrow money? You know, it's kind of like your credit score as a company. We might have a lower cost of capital because someone says, hey, you know what? That's a really attractive company. That's an ESG company, you know, whatever that ends up meaning. And I think a finance person is going to primarily look at this as how are the capital markets going to view us? Or how is that going to change our company as an investment? that it might, we're in an index fund and, you know, we're grouped with a bunch of ESG companies and we have this halo effect, or 
I mean, there are a lot more private companies in the world. I might say our owner, single owner, our board of trustees, our board of directors might have more confidence in us as a company and our ability to kind of stay the course and be a strong performing organization over years to come because we start performing better on this ESG front. So there are a bunch of other ways to look at ESG, right? This is kind of the magic of it. It matters to consumers. It matters to your employees. It matters to compliance and risk and how we run our programs. But I think that the probably starting point for a finance pro is going to be looking at how are the sources of finance and investment in our company going to look at this, regardless of what type of organization we are. Gio, could we take that same concept that you just articulated, how the finance professional would look at this in terms of investment in our company and apply that same logic to a board of directors or other group that might be divvying up funds or budget in a corporation if a compliance professional comes with an ESG proposal or something focused on ESG as well? Yeah, I think so. I think it's very relevant. And as ESG is a relatively young concept, at least in the way that it's kind of fractaling out across the economy and our profession. So this is getting formulated all the time. But a lot of the conversation right now is on kind of the obvious big public company. The S&P 500 is starting to report these things. What is the SEC saying for public companies? But this concept is relevant no matter what company you're in. So I help manage a foundation and you know an investment for a for a nonprofit. So we're having the ESG conversation. If you know a university and you have trustees, they're going to be looking at, hey, what are these new types of risks that we should be factoring into, whether we apply some money and investment out of our endowment or out of our fundraising to certain aspects at our university. And if you're a private company, you're going to be on the spectrum of if you're kind of a high-flying company that might go public might do an IPO in the next few years, then that's kind of obvious to see, hey, you know what, this whole ESG viewpoint on a company, right, it's just one kind of facet of the diamond of how people might look at you. This might become relevant when we IPO. But even if it isn't, if you're private equity owned, those private equity investors are saying, hey, what does being an ESG company or not mean to our investments over the next 10 years? Well, well, everyone's saying that those companies perform better. That might be part of it. If you're just privately owned, that owner at some point is saying, well, should I put more of my money into this company? Should you know we do investments and acquisitions and things like that? Or is this something that maybe not won't survive the next decade of changes in the tides of the market? All of those things are going to change how much the budget expands, how much of your cash flow, whether you're for profit or not, right? You have some ledger of ins and outs, your revenue and your expenses or whatever it is, how those things get treated on kind of broad basis of whether that's reinvested in the company or taken out to go reinvest somewhere else, or even within the company, we're going to invest in things that are going to kind of make our future better with whatever view of the future we have. And I think increasingly that view of the future is going to be informed by this ESG lens. Nick, if I could turn to you throughout this podcast series, we've talked about helping the compliance professional understand how to communicate with a finance professional or others in a language that's something other than compliance speak. Could you maybe apply those same, or can we apply those same concepts from the compliance perspective when they talk to senior management or others around ESG? And if so, how would you suggest a compliance professional think through that? Great. I get this sense from a lot of the folks I talk to or a lot of these conferences or 
webinars that we go to on this topic, that there's this broad concern about greenwashing. And there's this broad concern that like, well, the people at the top aren't really that serious about it. To which I say, who cares if they're serious about it or not? Who cares if in their heart they care about ESG? If it's an opportunity for us in ethics and compliance to get more power, to have more of an impact in our organization. So use it. Like, do you really think Lululemon is checking every single person who comes in to buy yoga pants and whether they're healthy or not? No, they make yoga pants in all sizes. So because they're in, use it. So irrespective of whether or not they're serious about it, you need to take advantage of the opportunity and the window of opportunity that we have right now, because we speak to virtually every single one of those pillars in that acronym. So again, it's about grabbing hold of this opportunity and recognizing what do these people care about? Irrespective of the potential for greenwashing, why do they care about ESG? Well, because it's top of mind for investors. It's top of mind in the marketplace to some of the things that like Geo said. So, okay, speak into that. Use what you have in place already to show that, hey guys, you guys are nervous about ESG and you don't know what that means for your organization yet. Well, guess what? Here's a little bit of a burning fire. And also here's a bucket because we already have 80% of this stuff done. We already have a speak up line. We already have a uh, training for our X, Y, and Z. We already have an environmental department that's you know doing ground samples around our plant. Whatever business you're in, there's probably a bunch of ESG type things that you're doing. And just because it's not all dialed in yet, and there's not like a pronouncement or some regulation out there for you to walk down the line and check and say, oh, does this apply? Does this not apply? It's a massive opportunity. So spend a little time. We have a resource that we've sent around that we can share with your listeners, Tom, but it has like 30 or 40 different like ESG reports. Grab a handful of those and start looking at what some of your competitors or what other folks in the marketplace are putting into their report. I guarantee there's a massive overlap with some of the data points that already exist in your organization. So I think it's about shifting the mindset and using this opportunistically to take advantage of the amorphousness that is ESG right now. Granted, it's nascent and there's a lot of debate around should you put your program in place before you start measuring it? Or should you start measuring it before the program's in place? I'm sure you can guess which side of the fence I jump on. I'm on the side of saying, you already got a bunch of this data points. Use those to sort of to show where you're at because that program over time is going to keep changing as standards come out and so forth. In the absence of just because there's not actual standards that are agreed upon by everybody, you know the direction that it's going. And you also can infer based on data points that you have or what's important to your business, what's going to resonate with the people at the top and who better to be the expert on it than the ethics and compliance department. I can go on and on about the opportunity that I see slipping through some people's hands like water. We were at a conference and every time I could just feel it in the room. Every time ESG got brought up, you could feel this like this anxiety sort of like permeating throughout the room where like nobody knew where to start. And I was just baffled by it because the same dynamic that's in play right now with ESG was in play in 1996 when somebody smart got passed down from someone they were reporting to in legal to say, hey, figure out this whole compliance thing, figure this thing out. We had to figure that out for our organization. Now, ethics and compliance is a mainstay in most organizations today. That same dynamic is what I'm saying. That same dynamic is at play right now. And we need to take advantage of that opportunity because it's kind of a once in a career opportunity if we play it right. There's a couple of points I want to pick up on. One is probably no surprise to any listener to know I'm a liberal Democrat and have been accused of being a tree hugger for a long, long time. Actually voted for Jimmy Carter at my first election. And when I talk to business executives about compliance and get accused of that. My response is, it really doesn't matter what you think of me, and it really doesn't matter what I think of you. This is going to make you a more profitable company, and it's going to make you more attractive to investors, to banks, to insurance companies, or to shareholders. 
and employees. And employees and other stakeholders that the Business Roundtable has identified in their statement on the purpose of a business corporation. So when you explain it to that, they say, okay, you could be a tree hugger. But (laughs) number one, but number two, and you really laid it out, Nick, that 80% of ESG you're probably already doing. You just don't call it ESG. And that if you go in and data mine within your organization, not only are you going to find that you're doing ESG, but more importantly, you already have those data points. And so you do have the validation. You may be looking at it from a financial perspective, from a compliance perspective, from an HR perspective, or a wide variety of other perspectives. So how do you help the compliance professional understand, guys, you're already doing that. And it may be something as simple as, we're cutting back our travel costs because of the pandemic. How do you help them to understand that? I mean, you just have to go wide with, it's kind of a different hat. Like you have to get kind of aggressive with what you're willing to take credit for. And if you think that I'm a lunatic, then you should look at some of the stuff that are in these ESG reports. I mean, there was a whole section. I saw one on one report and I'm not throwing stones at it. I mean, people are using it and they're playing the cards that they're dealt or the cards that they have, frankly, where they listed out all of the topics on their annual training. This many hours were spent on discrimination and harassment training. This many people took it. This is what our completion rate is. You already have that in your LMS system. You can probably pull out of your case management system. I mean, if we're going to straight compliance stuff, you can pull out of your case management system. How many discrimination and harassment claims did you have last year? How many did you have this year? What were the turnaround time on those, right? Like how many days did it take you to close those? What can you take credit for? That's really what ESG is kind of about. Obviously, we want those to be genuine. Obviously, we want there to be that forward push. But I'm saying to your point, Tom, there's a bunch of people in the organization that are, call them whatever you want. They're people that are looking to make an impact and make the world a better place whose efforts you can aggregate through these different data pools and these different data lakes in the organization. You can aggregate into an ESG memo. It it doesn't have to be full of clip art and stock photos. Pull some of the data together. It already exists in your system and start to take credit for it, not for yourself, but for the broad organization and start to give out some stars essentially for the genuine efforts that people in the organization are taking to make the world better. To your point, 80% of it is already kind of happening. Yeah. And I think that part of how you do that is getting an understanding of who your audience is. So a broad overgeneralization to be sure, but a lot of the kind of basis for a lot of our compliance programs, at least on the like high confidence, I have to do this stuff. We have an audience of one and it's the government, it's the regulators writ large, right? And we right. got to make sure that we do what they say we do. And then for a long time, I think it's unfortunate, but it's reality. The conversation about what should we do more than that is like, well, what does the law require? Well, you know, I mean, we can talk about how to be ethical is something beyond what the law requires and things like that. But a lot of times we've been stuck in this limbo of like, well, here's what we have to do. And I'd like to do some more because I'd feel better about our risk and our organization. And someone says, ah, I'm going to invest it in marketing or whatever. Well, that script is flipping now where people are saying, hey, the way that the organization is managed, the way that we do things and report it, they're both part of this thing, just like how you have to report things to regulators at times. The way we report it publicly to all these different stakeholders now matters more than before. I think part of how you can get a sense for this is ask for input from some of these other leaders in the organization and say, hey, I'm putting an ESG memo together. It's not going to be fancy. Don't worry. I'm not spending 85 hours on it and you know, shirking my other duties, but I want to get a conversation going around this. What do you think should be in there? And ask finance, ask investor relations, ask your CEO or your board and say, hey, what do you want to make sure I put in here? You know what? If they say, I have no idea, then that's your starting point. That's your bar that you exactly. have to get over. And you just start with, hey, here's what we got. I found 
two metrics for E, I got seven for S, and I got 18 for G because G, governance, compliance, right? That's really my domain. And I know a little bit about S and I couldn't really find a lot about E. How do you guys feel about that? If you ask around and people say, hey, we got to include this. Hey, we got to go hard on the E part because customers are really care about that more than ever. Well, then at least you have a target. At least you have some direction to start building your map from. But I think that this is opportunistic, not required. This is kind of mushy and undetermined, not a script given from the SEC. And part of the approach to this is get started on it and see where you go from there. And I think that a lot of people will see that getting started is not as hard as they think it is. Gentlemen, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us when we come back for our next episode for one I'm really looking forward to, which is finance and investing models as related to risk analysis. So I look forward to continuing this conversation. Yeah, we'll see you on the next episode. This is Tom Fox again. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. Hope you'll check out Compliance Line and more importantly, check out their free offer for mining your ROI gold compliance program. Hope you'll join us tomorrow or our next episode where we take up finance and investing models for compliance. This special five-part podcast series, Gold in the Compliance Hills, has been a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.